Hey, friends, good morning to you. I hope your Tuesday's off to a good start thus far. Uh, my Tuesday so far is off to a pretty good start. I hope you had a, a great week and, uh, and we're able to hopefully worship with some of God's people this Sunday. Or if you didn't have that opportunity, at least uh, hopefully you've had the chance to marinate in God's word. If you haven't, well, that's what we're here for today. We're here to start off your day in uh, in the word of the Lord, specifically, we want to drench you in the good news of the gospel. We want to leave you with the good news of the gospel every single time you come to one of our devotions. That's really the goal. That's actually the goal of everything that 1517 in Christ Hold Fast does. We just want people to own and live in the power and the freedom of the good news of Jesus Christ. So, with that being said, by way of introduction, we are continuing our uh, study through the epistle to the Galatians from the Apostle Paul. Uh, Galatians is uh, easily one of the most commented upon books throughout the church's history. And, uh, and of course, Luther's probably most famous commentary is on Galatians. He loved it so much that he referred to it as his book, and of course, he was speaking with the typical hyperbole that Luther is known for, not a man that was always careful with his words, but a man who spoke with such ferocity that you couldn't help but pay attention to what he had to say about the gospel. So uh, so we're in Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7. I want to read the passage, and then we'll talk about what's going on here today, all right? It says this, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Now, let me back up first, go back to the last chapter. Paul ends the chapter by saying that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. And he says, we're all sons of God in Christ Jesus. But he's in the process here of making a distinction between uh, the difference between somebody living as a slave under the law as opposed to living as an heir under the gospel. And so that's what he's talking about, just to bring up to speed. So it says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born under woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts saying or crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. End of reading. Well, what is this all about? I mean, there's with any given passage, there's a number of points you can hit. There's a number of angles that you can go after and sort of uh, focus on. But today, I want to focus on this idea of God's timing, because there is that verse right smack dab in the middle that says, when the fullness of time had come. When the, what does that mean? Um, I think most of us take for granted that we believe in God's timing. We believe God has a plan. We say it almost nonchalantly. As a matter of fact, sometimes we say it in an unhelpful way. Uh, we say it almost as a way to comfort uh, ourselves or others. 
Uh, and maybe it might not always be the best counsel, but that's a discussion for another day. Um, and yet, as much as I do believe, yes, like God has a plan for human history and this thing is going somewhere. We're not just sort of rambling around, you know, <laughs> journey on, on a journey with no destination. As I reflect on my own life, uh, it is not all the time that, that I find this to feel true. Sometimes things feel chaotic. Sometimes uh, things don't feel like they could possibly be a part of a plan, especially when I suffer or when I see people that I love suffer. I wonder, how is this a part of your actual plan, God? How can this be a part of your timing? And so, uh, and so what I want to talk about is God's timing. What does that look like? What does it mean? And so we'll, late, we'll talk about his timing as it relates to us and our salvation by focusing on what we were like before the fullness of time, what we've become at the fullness of time and what we are as a result of the fullness of time or after the fullness of time, okay? So before the fullness of time, let me reiterate what Paul says here. Verse 29, chapter three, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. There's our first time reference in the text. Now, what Paul is alluding to here is something that I referenced in the last session we had. Uh, in that day, boys were typically watched over by a slave from the home. He was their guardian or schoolmaster, generally charged to watch over their every move from ages six until the child's father basically said, okay, that's enough. And that usually was around 16 years old or so. Paul says in verse three, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now, that's another way of saying that uh, that last statement might be best understood is we were enslaved to the basic, the ABCs of the world. And based on the context here, what he's talking about is the ABCs of the world is the law of God. So let me put all this together because this is a little, it's got a couple of moving parts here. Uh, before the fullness of time, that is at Christ's coming, though we were heirs according to the promise of salvation given to Abraham, functionally, we lived more like slaves than heirs of a great inheritance because we didn't know how to take advantage of the inheritance until the right time had come in Christ. So it's like this. Imagine my seven-year-old, Lincoln, uh, finds out that he's been left a large inheritance from my, my deceased grandfather. We didn't know about it, and it's, you know, he's, gonna rec he's received a million dollars in all of his property. Let's just say my grandfather did not have that, but let's say for the sake of argument. Now, technically, my boy would be the inheritor of all of it. But as would be natural, there's a clause that he has to wait until he's 18 or 21 or whatever the case may be until he can functionally take over ownership until that time. So then what happens to the money and the property during those 18 years? Well, it's, it's watched over by stewards and trustees and family to make sure it's all there for him. Before the fullness of time, before Christ comes into our lives, we're like that. We're chosen to be heirs of his great blessing and salvation, but functionally we're living as slaves to the law. 
Except it's worse than that because we live like we have no inheritance. We don't even know we do. The slavery, slavery of our sin keeps us chained to believing that there isn't any good news coming for us, that there isn't any fortune for us. We're blinded to it. And this is the problem with trying to live by the law. We don't actually get to see the good fortune waiting for us, the good news that is already there for us. And so that's what we were like before the coming of Christ, before the fullness of time. We were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, Paul says. Okay, then what happens at the fullness of time? Well, verse four, but when the fullness of time had come, that phrase means literally in Greek, it's the exact right moment, the exact appointed time, the point is that God knew the exact millisecond from all eternity past that he was going to do this, to do what? God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under, to, under the law to redeem those under the law. From the standpoint of finite people, especially living at the time of Christ, I have to imagine it couldn't have really looked like there was a plan for the time that Jesus came. I mean, for that matter, it looks like that a lot from our perspective. Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Paul, etc. you name it, God's timing for their lives doesn't make sense, at least at first. Most of the time, God's timing doesn't make sense to us until we're able to look at it in the rearview mirror, and even then, only sometimes. But in each of those cases, though at the time those around them may not have understood it, God was working out everything perfectly. So Abraham is told his offspring will be like the stars of the sky, only to be commanded by God at one point to sacrifice the very offspring that was supposed to bring about all of that. How does that work? Though God in his grace eventually spared Isaac. Moses is given the charge to lead the people out of slavery through the Red Sea into the wilderness and toward the promised land, only to die shortly before entering it. Joseph is told he'll one day rule over his brothers, but... What he doesn't know is that the path to getting there would involve slavery and false imprisonment for years. Yet what does he say to the brothers who had treated him so poorly at the end of his life? He says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And toward the end of Paul's ministry, God constrains him to leave Ephesus where he had been shepherding that church. He had grown close to that church and yet he's been called to go to Jerusalem. To the church in Ephesus, it didn't make any sense. Why would he want to go there? He's going to die there. But it was through that painful timing of God that Paul would be able to preach the gospel to the highest authorities in the Roman Empire, which was always his hope and his dream. And with our Lord himself, is there anything about the timing of his birth that would suggest greatness? Born, you know, in, a, in the back of, you know, some stall, some shepherd's cave to a teenage girl who says she's a virgin, but people are understandably skeptical. Born in a, I mean, from a podunk town called Bethlehem. He's raised in Galilee, the hillbilly region of ancient Israel. He's the son of a carpenter, teaches, gets booed, is rejected by his own family and friends, almost dies, heads to Jerusalem, does die by crucifixion, the worst kind of death, a criminal's death. Does anything about that look like a perfect plan? Does anything from the perspective of his disciples appear to be God's timing or God's work, but indeed it was. It was all part of the plan. Again, Paul says God sent his son. The word for sent is the same word for apostle. It means someone sent out as 
the authoritative representative. He was born of a woman, uh, became a zygote, allowed himself to grow in the womb like everyone else, became entirely dependent upon his mother's breast for sustenance. He was human in every way we were human. Now, to our Islamic friends, this is maybe the most blasphemous thing that we can say to them, that God came in the flesh and submitted himself to the same bodily human functions that you and I have. But it was all part of his plan. He was born under the law. That is, he was born under the law's perfect demands like everyone else, yet he did not sin like everyone else. And why was he born under the law? To redeem those who had broken the law, to redeem those who were under the law. There's two ways he does this. He buys us back by his perfect obedience and by his perfect sacrifice. So this is God's plan. This is God's time. Again, chances are if we had been there at the time, like his earliest disciples, we probably wouldn't have seen it working out that way. But the application for us, of course, today is that even when things seem like they don't make any sense, even when the pain is unthinkable, even when all order seems to turn to chaos, God still has a plan. His timing is still perfect, and he knows exactly what he's doing. It will not make sense, but we hold on to the words of Proverbs 16, 9, that man plots his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And so what happens as a result of God's coming at the fullness of time? Well, we receive adoption as sons. Now remember, go back to the first verse of the chapter. There he says, though you were heirs of God's good gifts, functionally, it was like you were a slave, which would mean you'd, you'd, you'd have to be a son. You didn't live as one who owned his inheritance, but now as a result of God's perfect plan, because Jesus has redeemed you, you are his children, and you can cry out, Abba, Father. The result of God's plan is that you can claim your inheritance, and your inheritance is his kingdom, one for you forever. Your treasure is already there. It is yours. It is yours now, and it is given completely free, completely based on only the finished work of Jesus Christ accomplished at the fullness of time some 2,000 years ago. So, as my friend Jacob Smith likes to say, enjoy your forgiveness. Enjoy the kingdom that you've been given. Enjoy your eternal life because of God's, God's perfect timing. All right, gang, that's it for today. I hope you're encouraged and hope you are strengthened by the reality that you're not drifting through space uh, apart from, from God actually being involved in this thing with you. He's with you always and will never leave you nor forsake you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.